If you see something, say something. At Reply, weird things come with any weird story you find on the web, and you can help make weirdthings.com even weirder. Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Mr. Justin Robert Young. Oh, weird things. And the ever-lovely Veronica Belmont. Yeah! Could not be here tonight. Instead, we have Brian Brushwood. Man, I was going to do a wicked Veronica Belmont impression. It was going to be amazing. <laughs> Wait, back up. No, too late. You, you rolled right Come past on. it. No, no, no. You what, can do one. What job it mother lovers like, know? Hey, I'm Veronica Belmont. I love SimCity. No, <laughs> Yeah, suckers, who's who's on the longest run of Revision 3 original show? Veronica Belmont! Yay, kittens, cake! <laughs> Man, you oh, know I what? Can't. I would love, actually, we should see if we can uh, put together, let's see, as, as our fans are wont to do, if it's possible for us to get Veronica, to just record a bunch of random statements that may or may not rhyme, and shout them. Uh, with a lot of, you know, uh, emphasis and see if we can't lay a rap song underneath it and make her like a gangster rapper for the tech industry. I don't know why. I mean, like, do you is the problem that Veronica is not recording her voice for us enough well, in the 15 podcast that she does? Like, why don't we just take the body of work that she that she already does and just just stitch it all together? Like, auto tune the new style. I don't I don't I mean, we could do that, but I feel like we could get something like you remember when Mat- Natalie Portman was on Saturday Night Live and she she did that hardcore gangster rap thing about how yes. how she just got high all the time and screwed over grades yes. and so like I feel like we could do something like that that would really send an earthquake through the the geekosphere. Well, I'm glad you asked what's going on in the week of weird, guys. <laughs> and uh Geekosphere, week of weird, the same thing. Keep going. I, I started this, so I have only myself to blame. <laughs> Gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna blow your minds. Uh, I'm gonna start uh, off with this question. I'm sorry, we didn't respond fact. because we were both stealing ourselves for the mind blowage. Fact yeah. finding thing. I'm in reinforcing my, my mind right now. In my weird, weird investigations that sometimes involve candles, nudity, and Wikipedia. Chips, dips, chains, whips. You know, that kind of thing. I found out something very, very fascinating that could change history. Now, I didn't really find it. I'll take credit for reading it. (laughs) You'll take credit for reading it. You're like... It's like a research paper. You're like, I am the one who read these words. So you yes. you bring it to me, sir. So- I'd also like to imagine that Andrew would be on like a panel at a prestigious event and they'd be like, uh, like uh, uh, Matthew Ridley, uh, now a member of the House of Lords, esteemed <laughs> scientist and author, and Andrew Maine, a guy who read that thing. <laughs> he read. He read uh, uh, Ridley's work. Thing on the internet. So... If I were to ask you, what is the farthest object, farthest man-made object in space right now? What would you say? The farthest? Oh, that's easy. It's Voyager. It's got to be Voyager. Voyager, as we call her when we're hanging out. We play in the poker, uh, virtual online poker, pokerstars.net. She's Voyager. 
Pretty good. Terrible at the bluff. Stranded in the Delta. Also, um, <laughs> also sentient. Forgot to mention that. Also bald and in the 70s. What if I were to tell you you might be wrong? What? Then I would say this was a cleverly laid trap by a certain somebody who's read an article. <laughs> Let me go even further. What? What was the first man-made object in space? Oh, Sputnik. It's easy. Fuck. Okay. Man, you're going to hit me with this grade school crap? Come on, man. Come on. Really? Are what you, you sure? Yeah. Learn in oh, grade school? Oh, no. I saw Brian? A, what? What if I told you history could be wrong? Never. History is never wrong. History told me the other day that it's always this right. It's like an awesome in, movie trailer. <laughs> in this one instance, history could be wrong. Okay, what do you got? Because I like the first way you stated that because that was more movie trailer esque. You never hear a movie trailer. It's like, what if I told you in this one instance, history could be wrong? Everything you know is a lie. So, uh, what? I, uh, let me tell you, if, uh, Andrew. I don't know if you know this about the Weird Things podcast, but there's a number of times that you lay out a primrose path that I know I'm walking down and trouble is there. And maybe I, I kind of see where you're headed, but I pretend not to. I just keep on burp, 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 walking on through. Because you really love primroses. That's a, that's a path. fact that you added to Brian's a, Wikipedia. I'm more, more uh, of a garden path kind of guy. But yeah, sure, primrose, primrose fan. I'm a uh, primrose. But As you're walking down this path, which maybe I've sprinkled broken glass there or not, we're but, not going to say. Yeah, sure, right? Uh, but, but Brian, leave your shoes at the gate. Come on down the path. But here's here's the thing. In this case, like I'm looking for all the exits, I'm looking for all the left turns, and I cannot think of any trick to any of this. Like, like you're taking two bedrock things. I'm trying to think of what could be farther out than Voyager. I'm trying to think of what could have been in space earlier than Sputnik. And I, I mean, I got nothing. So, it's a rock. I mean, unless a man named Krog threw really hard. <laughs> Krog. <laughs> Krog door. Krog rock. <laughs> Krog rock. Krog rockster. Sputnik launched in. 50, let's see, it was 1957. 50, okay. I think it was sure. October. It was launched in. Da, 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 da. I'm looking on Wikipedia. October 4th, 1950. I got the October without looking at it. October 4th, 1957. Okay. Uh, right. for, for the record, Andrew, you could just tell us you got all of it right from memory. And like we, like Justin and I can physically watch you be reading off an iPad. And if you told us, you're like, I'm reciting all this from memory, we'll still just, believe you. Yeah, we're just looking at a picture of a monkey, guys. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. That's what we would assume is that you're writing your next book on the exactly. iPad. He's like, I'm just going from memory as I review my next science fiction release. Anybody who knows how I multitask will know that is completely impossible. <laughs> Okay, yes. I, I am I am such a one track mind. I'm that, a is, that is one thing. So, about, that is one thing about Andrew when it comes to his writing is that he literally like has to put himself in a a soundproof cave where nothing can possibly distract him. But but like uh, on the flip side, like was it Isaac Asimov who was like that? According to Randy, that he would be like yeah. like having conversations yeah, Randy, and yeah, Randy writing. told the story that he was on the phone with him and he would hear what sounded to be like ticker like like the the radio ticker tape or whatever, and he'd be like, "What is that sound?" He's like, "I'm writing." <laughs> and it would not. It wouldn't be like a slow, distracted conversation. Uh-huh, You'd have like yeah, uh-huh, a great yeah. conversation, it, it and would also sound be like, writing a foundation novel. It would sound like that evening news sound. That yeah, exactly. Like like news radio. Yeah. So now the traffic. That's not me. So 
Gentlemen, I've thrown out there an incredible hypothesis that, in fact, the history we know could be wrong. First man made an object. Most distant object is not Voyager. The first man made object in space was not Richard III. Brian, why do you got to kill the surprise? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Literally um, hoisted on really his own big catapult. <laughs> uh, so. Check this out. Now, it's interesting. If you want to say first man-made object in space, by the way, the Nazis kind of maybe get it. With the V2? Yeah, because that was like in sort of some of the places we consider space. But we'll, we'll wipe out the Nazi stuff, okay? Well, cause, and there's also like certain balloons, you know, but before uh, the freaking rocket man in space jumping off of the Red Bull. We never we, – I'm not like the 68-mile sort of limit. I think yeah. we may have like some V2 could have. But anyhow, anyhow. Yeah, got it, got it. And, you want to know – I think we can all agree when you – exterminate people, you're going to get some records erased. You're going to get an asterisk by your name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You know what? It's like, even if you were first in space, you don't get any credit, dicks. Uh, You know know what? We're going to go ahead and delete it. And I think (laughs) it's going to get us like, how many witnesses did you have? Mm. Were there any scientists there? Jewish scientists to observe. Oh, no. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You you either made them run out of your country. You killed them all. That doesn't count. Which is why, which is why we now have the rule that all space records need to be verified by one Jewish scientist. <laughs> so, I take you back to the summer of 1957. Remember it fondly. Well, I do, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> From a different life. 1957 is an exciting year. Elvis Presley is on the radio. I'm assuming. Uh, television's playing on TVs. <laughs> um, is that where television's playing yeah, back in the 70s and 50s? <laughs> Mickey Mouse is uh, running for governor of Nevada. Also, he's very afraid of being uh, having his, his uh, cop- copyright expire like any minute now. This is previous Fighting to... Fighting diligently for that. Anyhow, 1957, yeah. summer of 1957. You know what else was going on in 1957? What? We were blowing bombs up. We were blowing atomic bombs. No, 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 no. Wait. Hold on. You're telling me, you're telling me that you believe that an atomic explosion launched a piece of something man-made out of, into past orbit, out of of Earth, where it got a head start of a Voyager and got farther than Voyager? You, th- you think we could blast detritus that far? In the bomb test known as Pascal B, which took place in August 1957, which was several months before October, at least it is on my calendar, we were doing a test, and we, I mean, I wasn't there. I can't prove that. Any photos of me standing in the background <laughs> are not me. Okay. Photoshopped. Dude, can we, can we just commit right now? Can we all do like a giant pinky swear to all of our listeners, like, if you ever work in the National Archives, whatever your job is, all of us for the next decade will quietly sneak in Andrew uh, Maine in the background of famous historical photos. Just never say anything about it until like a decade from now we can have this total Doctor Who moment. I like I like the idea that there'd be like a Photoshop contest that would just instead of, you know, normally it's like, oh, wow, Brian's riding a unicorn or something like that. <laughs> something very overt. We would go for the most... Subtle Photoshop <laughs> possible, like putting and, Andrew and get, Where's Waldo style in. Uh, and you would get no recognition for it. 
That's yeah. the worst part. Is like you wouldn't even get kudos from we three. We'll we'll all deny we like I don't see it. I don't know what you're talking about. Like nobody can acknowledge your success. We we will just always retweet. Like look at this awesome picture of uh, V Day. <laughs> <laughs> so did Justin freeze there? No, I'm here. He's I can fine. Hear okay. He's 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 a very good ventriloquist. Keep going. Your We're image good. just that's all right. It's fine. So 1957, August, we do it. We do it a bunch of atomic bomb blasts here. Cause like, hey, you know, boys at Livermore are pumping out the uranium and everything else we need, right? Yeah. Get everything we need. So we're testing these things, bombs off. One of the things we do is we decide to put a bomb at the bottom of a big shaft. Big shaft. Oh wait a minute. So this is the beginning of like underground. You damn right. <laughs> Let me tell you that that atom bomb is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. So, I'm just talking about at the bottom shaft, of the shaft. On top of this shaft is a steel plate. Now you could call it a manhole cover, but technically it's just a big, huge plate. About two thousand pounds is on top of the shaft. Bomb goes off. Explosion goes up. There is film of the explosion, and in one frame. One frame only, you see a little tiny black speck like a bat out of hell going straight up. So, okay, this is what you're what you're essentially proposing is that before we successfully left Earth, before we went to orbit, before we went to the moon, we accidentally pulled off Jules Verne's vision for how we could just essentially shoot ourselves off the planet. Pretty much so. So we shot maybe a 2,000-pound, we'll call it a manhole cover. Now, the speed of this was going 146,000 miles per hour. Now, okay. Escape velocity is 22,000 miles an hour. For those of you not good at math, That's this me. is seven times the speed you need to get out of the atmosphere. And because you have no instruments in there, because you have no living beings in there, yeah. because this is just a chunk of rock— uh, you, you don't have to worry about G-forces. It's not like, what, what, what's it called? Three Gs constantly on a rocket going up. Like, this is going to be a bajillion Gs instantly, and it won't matter. So, one of two things happened. The explosion, one of three things happened. The explosion just disintegrated the metal, okay? But here's the thing. It still has velocity. It didn't transmute it into energy. It still had velocity, and it got pushed, arguably, out of the atmosphere. So dissolved. It, it, even if let, let's say it started off as a two thousand pound, exactly what we visualize as a manhole cover. Uh, once it gets propelled at that velocity and the heat and energy, let's say it gets a little gelatinous for a bit, you know, a little liquefied, but then very quickly solidifies again. It's still. That chunk of manhole cover. Yeah. Maybe a little so melty either, face. It either got blown to bits or we sent something up in there or, you know, it, it, it or it got, you know, it, so we, we sent chip fragments of something. We sent a big chunk up there or the thing kind of got annihilated in, in the explosion. Mm -hmm. The uh, when well, the scientist was in charge of the project. His theory is he think it, yeah, it says I think it got vaporized. But vaporized. What does vaporized mean? Um, I believe it and, means to turn into vapor. Yes. So this thing was going 146. I mean, such a, a, a loose term, Brian. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I, yes, you're right. You're right. De, de, I mean, define vapor. <laughs> it's uh, 
Uh, I actually can't. That's you've already. That was the one. That was my one moment. That's all I had, Justin, and you just took it away from me. <laughs> you bastard. Case closed. <laughs> Brian, be dumb. Trying, Brian, in the court of. Do you know what you're talking about? So, any event, there is a high probability. If you calculate the speed, 146 miles, miles an hour, how far would it have gone? That's faster than Voyager's going. Like Voyager's, like speed was like like 40. Thousand miles per okay, hour. So okay, so now that's out of out of Earth uh, gravitational well. It's it's hauling butt at uh, forty thousand miles per hour, whatever it was you said, right? One hundred forty thousand. One hundred forty. Okay, no, no, no. But you said Voyager was. Yeah, Voyager. Yeah, sorry. Right. Yes, correct. So, sir. so this thing, if if it made it straight up, was going one hundred forty, and you figure it's going to lose some velocity just to to just to to get out of the gravity well, but obviously not nearly. I mean. I don't know, man. This is this is pretty huge. Has anyone else proposed this theory? Is this somebody else's theory? Uh, you could find it on Wikipedia when you look up the bomb blast, and if you look up the first nuclear-propelled man-made object in space. But if you also look at like you know first man-made object in space, again they get into the V two rocket stuff. You get doing this, but if you just say you know leave orbit, whatever, it's a theory. You know, it's either you know it comes down to either something made out it's or it vaporized. Yes. And some people say it just vaporized, but there is the possibility this thing is out there, that this thing is going so fast, it started, not only did it start before we even launched the Pioneer probe 20 years later, it's going faster, launched before, and it is the <clears throat> furthest out object that an alien life could encounter would be a big piece of radioactive slag that we accidentally blew off our planet testing our atomic bombs. It's pretty so, all right, so, so what is it? It was just rock weight? It was just metal, like 2,000 pounds metal of rock plate, weight? A one-ton metal plate. That's and and awesome. the one-ton metal plate. So, so what do we think is out there? The rocks and the plate? No, it's no rocks. It's the metal plate. There's the metal plate, the plate got blown into space. Yeah. Oh my god. So it's, it's the end cap that just got straight up. I believe it, man. I think this is this is true. I I I choose to believe it. I don't know that if the science actually backs it up, but uh, find me the plate, then prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. New like, plate. Like nukes can't melt. It was American made. That's right. I, I just think for the sake of pride, next time somebody says, well, you know, they launched Sputnik first, we can go, is that what you think? <laughs> really? <laughs> has anybody... That, okay, here's what I don't understand, is has anybody tried replicating this as, a, like, using atomic energy to intentionally launch an object into space? Well, Brian, I'm glad you asked Also, that. What? Can I, what? Shut can up. I is interest this... you in my new Kickstarter? Dude, tell me. Well, the term, the, the use of a subterranean shaft and nuclear device to propel an object to escape velocity has since been named a thunderwell. What? That so is, hold on. Do. Stop everything. Why have we not seen an action movie called Thunderwell? thunderwell. Why, why have we not seen? Like, See, some... that, would, that would set up the, the, the trailer part of the beginning of this conversation. Yeah, what, what if you knew about history was totally wrong? Thunderwell. <laughs> He's like, my name's my name's uh, James Hathaway. I'm on Project Thunderwell. James and Hathaway. yes, it's James Hathaway. And they're like, uh, they're like, no living object can survive. Like Anne Hathaway? <laughs> Are you his brother? No, but I'm, brother? J- I'm j- okay. Listen, let me explain my story. So okay, so here's the thing: you got James Hathaway, a test pilot, 
And they realize they're, they're shooting things up into space. This is, this is pre-rocketry. They say rocketry is no good. So they're like, uh, they're like the problem is we blow up a nuke and, and the G-force is too much to kill it. They're like, unless you freeze me in a block of gelatinous ice. And then they freeze them and it goes like that, right? And then, like, wait, gelatinous ice, isn't that a contradiction? He's like, freeze me, Dan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, There's no time, Does that mean we're going to have jello? <laughs> yes, exactly. And so they freeze him, and then they detonate this thing. And because he's all gelatinized in the frozen ice, uh, it it just, you know, he doesn't feel the effects, right? So so it's like, uh, you know, he goes up, and then... ACDC does the tr- soundtrack. <laughs> right, right. Thunderwell. And so, but then... Because he's in space, they forget. They're like, oh, he uh, doesn't thaw out because he's in space. Stays there for a thousand years, falls back to Earth, thaws out, has to fight uh, Nazi Russian communist centaurs. And he's partially brain damaged. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But he also I has mean, laser vision. Your problem, Brian. Huh? You're, you're, you're saving the th- – you're, you're putting the Thunderwell too early in the film. Thunderwell. Like the end of your movie's got to be blowing him off into the Thunderwell. No, no, no. It's Chekhov's Thunderwell. It's oh, you, <laughs> exactly. Once you introduce the Thunderwell in the first act, that Thunderwell has to be fired off by the third. Okay, but how does he become a superhero? We have to wait till the. I guess this is an origin story. This is like Buck Rogers in the. No, this is like. Yeah, you know, it's resting control of the Thunderwell. Who's who's controlling it? What are they trying to use it for? Is this a secret nefarious plot? It's up to Anne Hathaway's brother to solve the case. <laughs> James Hathaway, Thunderwell. What if, what if that's a class like a Jedi Knight? I'm I actually Thunderwell. don't talk to my sister that much. I'm Thunderwell three sixteen. We're closer as kids. That's <laughs> I'm so down with Thunderwell. I'm gonna get that tattooed across my neckline. <laughs> Like for when I when I'm about to vomit, and I'm like, here it comes, here comes I mean, the thunderwell. We are also missing the most base repurposing of the term thunderwell. <laughs> you get it re- tattooed across your backside. You're like, come here, comes the explosion every morning at nine a.m. Was not where I was going, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Maybe the idea. It's matching tattoos, Justin, in corresponding places. <laughs> I like to say. The 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 shaft the exploding shaft I did not I thought was the opposite side of our biological dummy. Well, sometimes a daddy thunderwell meets a mommy thunderwell and decide to shoot some baby thunderwells into space. Exactly, blasted out of orbit. Yeah. Like first man-made object in space turned out to be a man, or at least half of what half of what it would have taken to make a man. It's, I, I did that thunderwell. So there was a the idea of using a a space gun is a way to use explosives to send stuff into space. And I don't know if you know the history of the guy who uh, one of the most ambitious proponents of the space gun, Earl James Space Gun. Um, yeah, you're actually correct. <laughs> you're actually Chad Hathaway. <laughs> Chad so, Hathaway, Space Gun the Third. <laughs> there is. And and I wish I'd known this when I was like there every other week. Is a the the Navy decided to build it was called Project Harp, totally different from the other Project Harp, the conspiracy not likes. But in Barbados, it was we had a, a launch range. We actually built a. We're building huge, the space gun, man. 
huge gun, not quite capable of sending stuff into space, but the guy by the name of Gerald Bull, he was a ballistics engineer, had this idea of building a really, really powerful, powerful gun because again, he's like, Hey, listen, you know, we could, we could get around the whole launch thing. We could shoot things. You could even shoot stuff into orbit, you know, maybe with a little bit of an explosive, maybe a little bit of rocket assist or whatever, but we could actually put stuff into orbit. The Navy said, Oh, we'll test this. They tested, uh, they had a flight range at Seawell airport in Barbados. They shot some shells. Some of the stuff made up, made like, uh, uh, you know, 100 and, you know, the team was able to fire 180 kilogram, reach an altitude of 180 kilometers. Okay. That's space, space gun go to 180 kilometers, man. Thunderwell. The, the record, the record they had was 112 miles high, which would have won you like the space, the X prize. Okay. Oh, wow. The wow. international space station is like 200 miles up. So. You know, we almost hit the International Space Station, space station where it will right? be. So this guy, uh, Gerald Bull, I mean, this Shut guy up. loved, 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 loved the idea of building these big-ass powerful guns, right? Navy finally says, no, nah, you know, we kind of like you know, we kind of like the thing that we're doing right now. And then he says, all right, I've got a design for an even more powerful gun. And, and like, South Africa is like, hey, we'll, we'll buy the design, right? Wait, when is this that, in, yeah, in yeah, South, South African scene history? Here. Yeah. This this is South Africa, you know, apartheid era South Africa. Well, that, right? that was like, what, 10 years ago? That was driven, like, right? how far then, back uh, was that? Then he decided that he was going to sell it to, he found another entrepreneur, found another patron who really loved the idea of the space, of the idea of this really powerful gun. And this guy said, I'm going to fund you. I think this is a great project. You know, I'm a very forward thinking guy. I, I'm big into science fiction. This is awesome. You're my kind of guy. Wait a minute. I'm going to give Wait you money minute. to do this. Who Who is this guy? Peel back. Saddam Hussein. And uh, <laughs> uh, the problem was in 1990, uh, he uh, he was killed in his apartment in Brussels. Maybe the Mossad was involved. Because <laughs> apparently they were going to do a space gun launch and not out last to officiate over it. <laughs> Wait oh, a wow. minute. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, that so, seems like something that I mean, because because Israel, that's around the time that they ran that air raid to blow up the nuclear facility in uh, in Iraq. What kind of facility? A nuclear. So if you look up Project Babylon, that was the name of the Iraqi space gun, or that wasn't going to be a space gun. I mean, it was a it was a kill their enemy gun. Um, yeah, but that would have been like the largest rocket, la- la- excuse me, largest you know super gun up until that point. Um, and uh, probably not intended for peaceful purposes. Probably better so than it was. Is that just something that, that fell out of vogue? Like because first world countries didn't want to screw with it, that we had other ways of getting to space, and we didn't have an interest in building a space gun. Pretty much, yeah. Well, and what what would you want to like? Okay, let's just let's back up. Political intrigue aside, is there? We got a lot of nukes laying around, and apparently, it's very expensive for us to bother to fire rockets. In our their slow ascent up into space, we're sitting on a ton of nukes. Is there something that it would be useful for us to to just to get it up there? We don't care how melty it is by the time it gets up there. No, because I mean, every time you blow up a nuke, you, you have that little radiation problem. Yeah, and, and that and what that, if, what that if we fuel is more valuable being repurposed for something else if you're going to try to use it at all? I'll Ooh. tell you what. I have a great way that we can solve this problem. We have a Thunderwell that I like to call the Dakotas. Just 
The knockout. But. I mean, we'll move the seven people that live there. We'll call it. We'll nothing. just say, congratulations, America's launching ground. Nothing. Build all the Thunderwells you like, and then we take all those nukes and treat it like a bunch of drunk frat kids with a potato launcher. It becomes we're just putting everything in his space. It's like we're shoving, we're shoving, we're shoving corn. We're, we're shoving like cornmeal in one to watch it like burn <laughs> as it comes out. It's the whole. All the state looks like a, a, a freaking honeycomb. There's so many freaking holes throughout the whole Imagine thing. Imagine the glitter bomb that we can launch out of a Thunderwell. Potatoes, old pornography. We just just <laughs> launch it. Whatever it is. So the lesson here, kids, is uh, if you're going to build a space gun, do it for a friendly power. Yeah. Although, by the way, space gun, you got to feel like Kim Jong-il was sleeping on that one. Like, that's that's a, that's a very Kim Jong-il kind of idea. Can we like, have some he, kind of massive sports team face-off between the space guns versus Thunderwells? Like, like, are you Team Space Gun or are you Team Thunderwell? Because I'm straight up Thunderwell. Technically, uh, Thunderwell is a space gun. Duh, yeah. duh. They're words, though, and one sounds more rad than the other. <laughs> I apologize. That's, I apologize. You know what? Uh, uh, Let's throw in the other one. Raptors. Raptors and driver. eagles. Same difference. You know, Mass bird driver. of prey. Whatever. I'm Mass just driver. saying. Master. Sure. Master. Wait a minute. Are you saying let's steer the earth? Well, mass driver doesn't necessarily do that. Well, I mean, yeah, that's you know, exactly I mean anytime that's... you accelerate in the opposite Hold end, on. You know, Hold... rotation, you're trying to steer it futilely, you know, in a futile way. But yeah. Okay. So let's I mean, say... it's just somebody who has a driver's license in the Commonwealth. <laughs> okay. So, but, but think about this, right? Like, could we affect, let's say, let's say global warming is going to kill us all. We're worried about getting hot. What could <gasps> we? Let's say, whoa, crazy alert. Uh, okay. Our shirts come off and we start dancing for some reason. I know. And then the dean decides us to declare the, the secretary of partying down. But then, but then, like, could you, could you move the earth to an outer orbit by, oh, God, that's not a drink at all. You're drinking whoppers. <laughs> They're just a really thick milkshake. The Go ahead. Listeners. The, the 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 rumbling that you just heard was Andrew lifting a full carton, like a no carton style of whoppers to his mouth and just shoveling down the tasty morsels while Brian was trying to explain his point. Okay, my point is, my point is, let's say that it's getting so hot that the only solution is to move Earth to a farther orbit. Like, could we could we just drill a bunch of Thunderwells and just rocket stuff towards the sun and just maybe scooch Earth out a little bit? Is that That's a whopper of a plan. <laughs> well, the the amount of force you would need to move the Earth, because the Earth is actually kind of big. I hear that about the Earth. He's always yeah. bragging about how big he is. He wants me so to wrestle him all the time. You've got to figure out that, assuming that you can get the energy to do that from somewhere, because we've been battered by comets, and, and they have a slight effect, but ultimately... The amount of mass that, I mean, when we, you know, when uh, Sedna, whatever the object was, it hit the Earth and formed the Earth and the moon, you know, that, that obviously, you know, had an effect on our orbit. But you got to figure the amount of energy you're going to have to be able to move the Earth, it's going to produce a tremendous amount of heat. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. And whatever we save by going a little bit further out, <laughs> we're going to cook to death. Hmm. There was a, I remember a uh, an episode of... Uh, 
gosh, it was a cartoon show. Far Out Space Nuts, where they no, mistook it was lunch like post, for launch. It post-apocalyptic. The moon was sort of split. Black Star? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, oh, no, no, no. Thundar, the Barbarian? Uh, Thundar, yeah. They had to go to like the, the North Pole or the South Pole where they had a bunch of rocket engines. It was to move okay. the Earth. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, dude, uh, was Thundar the Barbarian the one where there was that badass sword that was like split in two, and the main hero had one half, but there was another half out there, and they were like they were like two sides of the same thing. Yeah, it, it was Thundar because he had like that weird Wookie cat like pal. So yeah, there was a, there was an episode where they did that. They went to go activate the rockets to yeah to go move. Thundar was kind of cool. It was you know post apocalyptic Earth. That was that was pretty heavy duty stuff, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, it would be problematic. <laughs> I mean, like, listen, we're no thunder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Thunderwell. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, I'll tell you what is awesome. And that is Flowers, the third feature film from writer-director Phil Stevens, an abstract, surreal horror film centering around six dead women waking up in the crawl space below their killer's house only to discover that they are trapped in their own limbo and purgatory. A movie that tells its story in silence without any spoken dialogue and surrounded in a cryptic and dark visual atmosphere. Flowers is a film that builds on the journey and not the destination. Check out the site, flowersthefilm.com, or how about by donating to his Kickstarter, that is kickstarter.com, and then search for Flowers, a return to the dark art house underground, and I would like to thank the man behind that, Stephen, who uh, bought out every single ad read on this episode. We're going to be talking the hell so, out of flowers. All right, let's take a moment. Let's give him his money money's worth. Where can I go again? Uh, flowersthefilm.com, or he's got a Kickstarter. Uh, just search flowers, a return to the dark art house underground. Dude, this ain't no this ain't no juke joint operation either. Look at this stuff, man. Look at look at these special effects on here. Hold on, let me try to pan this over so you guys could take a look. Like, look at these special effects. This is like yeah. heavy duty. You there, got like just got right now for the audio listeners. We're watching. We're looking at stills here, and there's like some pretty gnarly uh, makeup effects here of the girls that are, you know, I guess the center of our. Of our story, it's again told in in silence, but it looks amazingly atmospheric. And and you know, Andrew, I know from from your experience of uh, you know trying visual stuff, it's always very interesting to see when people take a limitation and uh, and and try to make it a a plus. In this case, you know, in a lot of indie features and and first time filmmakers, sound is kind of what makes things sound more or feel more amateurish. Uh, than anything else, and, and to make a silent movie is kind of a really awesome idea. If you go, if you go to again, it's flowersthefilm.com. You can go. There's some production art where he has. He's been taking photos of different stages of the production. You can see the artwork that he was working on, and so there's just a lot of a lot of creativity's gone into this, and this is this is neat. It's very very cool. Let's see. Uh, and by the way, this Kickstarter. Uh, he's only looking for one uh, k, one thousand dollars. He's already got six hundred and thirty. So you know, every little bit to that will help make this film a I'll reality. What, so I, I very so, much. Uh, I don't know if we've right. talked about this on uh, on weird things before, but one of the things I love about the internet is that um, just as it makes possible the middle class rock star, uh, the Kickstarter uh, system, and you know, Indiegogo as well essentially makes uh, the middle-class patron possible. Like, the 
power and authority and 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 feeling of contributing to cultural health of society that earls and dukes would get 500 years ago we can all have now like we can take ownership of knowing we help to make something beautiful possible and i think that I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome. Just as YouTube taught us that it's f- not only fun to watch awesome video, it's fun to make awesome video. We're also learning this decade that it's not only fun to watch what people make, but to have a hand, to be an investor, you know, to, to feel like you have a piece of ownership in it. Yeah, Brian, absolutely. I, I know a guy who's like like one of these, like John, uh, what is he? He's like a, uh, oh, Berkshire Hathaway, like trust fund baby, right? So got a ton of money and a super nice guy. And one of the things that he does is he sits around on Kickstarter and looks for stuff too. Cause he, th- you know, it feels like the money that he came, you know, he just luckily, you know, the, the lottery of birth he came into. Right. And so he flips on and does that, but you don't have to be him. You know, if you're like a guy that likes arts and likes things and likes really cool things, you take a hundred bucks a month, you go around, you contribute to a little project here and there. And it makes the difference. You know, it, Brian, it, you've done Kickstarter, you've done that. When you see somebody says, Hey, I like what you're doing. I'm going to put 10 bucks into this, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not a lot in some ways, but it is a lot to some people. And it's also to the guy who gets it. You appreciate the fact, look at this person did. You can be a mini mogul supporting what other people do. You know, and if people listen to this, go check out the site. Maybe this movie's like, oh, this looks really cool. Maybe it's not your thing, but go take a look at what he's doing and realize this is a guy who said, hey, I want to create, I'm going to reach out to this community and the community can make this happen. And that's an awesome thing. You know, and, and it's something where I've, I've often said that we, we describe the genre uh, arts as a term as science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and none, none of those three suffer like horror suffers and horror fans Man, suffer. So, uh, you know? Horror, I mean, let's face it, like um, much much as in, in our business that I'm pointing to me and Andrew here, it's like you got, you got stand-up comedian, you got juggler. You got magician, and then you got mime, and so on. Like each one going down. Like in the genre, you have you have like uh, uh, you know action adventure comedy, uh, sci fi fantasy. Below that, uh, like like pornography horror is is that's what I was about to say is that horror is just above pornography because it's like there's this thing you want you want to see the gore and the plot's just sort of there so you could get to the awesome special effects. I, I will say I've more often watched pornography and said oh that's interesting <laughs> like than I have watched with, a horror with, movie with horror. and said the same thing. Uh, Amazing, you know. Here's here's the thing: there is nothing that horror fans want more. Than passionate new ideas told with skill, well executed. Uh, there's 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 a, a absolute lack of that. Certainly at the theaters, you know. At, I, I hung out with my friend uh, Matt Finley in Cleveland, and, and he is like the biggest horror fan that I've ever known. And it's like every time I talk to him, it's just, well, what movies have you seen? And he just rattles off eight horror movies, and I'm like, were any of them good? No. Like, but but each one, ones... like he'll point to like one unique idea that he remembers oh, yeah. from each one. He's like he's like, well, I had never seen this combination before, and when the gore did this, so like that was very clever. Yeah. So indie, so support support this if yeah, you like indie horror. film, indie film, and 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 do you think what well, eventually we're going to start seeing indie film gave us Sam Raimi. Yep. It gave us Rob Rodriguez. It gave us Quentin Tarantino. Yep. yep. It gave us uh, uh, Darren Aronofsky. Okay, these are guys that didn't work, you know, didn't necessarily like some directors. Hey, you know, you lucky and you go do you you go to USC, you direct a music video, you go hobnob. These are guys that by hook or by crook made their film happen 
you know, for ridiculously low amounts of money that, and they just had so much talent that it went to it and their careers expanded from there. And yep. you have the opportunity to play a part in people who you think have talent right now. Which you know, that's, great. that's, yeah. that's the other thing is, is you're making a bet. Like I believe enough in what I've seen or what I've heard about this project that what if this could be the first pebble that starts an av- avalanche and I can for the rest of my life tell people and have physical proof, you know, with, with like you will have the donation early on. You're know, like I was an investor, especially because a lot of them have physical rewards. You're like, here's the proof that I'm one of 10 bastards on the top of this hill who kicked this this rock and started this Oscar winning avalanche. So there we go. Flowers. Head, yeah. head over there. Head over to the Kickstarter. Support him. And thank you again, you know, in this complicated chain reaction of, of awesomeness paying it forward that somebody sponsors this podcast. We talk about this project. Hopefully this, uh, at least the Kickstarter, gets to a 1000 bucks by people, you know, who listen to this and all chip in a little bit. And next thing you know, uh, you know, there's not only this awesome film made better by your money, but also the future of everybody who made it, uh, knowing that there's a future for them to do these kind of things. And by the way, can I say for the record that I'm honored in whatever calculus went into their mind? They're like, where can we spend a little bit of investment money to get the word out? Like they looked at weird things and they looked at us and they looked at their audience and we're like, there, these are our yes. people. And I'm exactly. super honored and thrilled by that. So what we're trying to say is go ahead and put flowers on top of the thunderwell of your awesomeness <laughs> and blast it into orbit. Gentlemen. Yes, sir. Wouldn't you like to be able to look into the future and to see how well that movie may do? Um, yes. Is there anything that people want more? Like, time travel is it. There's a reason why time travel is its own genre. Because it is that no for sure, man. Flying is not his own job. We were like, oh, what would you want? Like, what, what, what was your time? What would be your special power? You're like, oh, flying. I'd love to fly. Flying what? is not his own genre. We don't have flying movies. We have time travel movies. What is knowable about the future? Uh, that uh, okay. Things that we know for we we can reasonably certain to uncertain. So it's reasonably certain. Okay. Uh, number one, the most certain I would say is that it will be there. There will continue to be some form of existence, right? Right. Beyond we that, we know the oldest things we know is like the sun's going to come out tomorrow. Yep. Well, that that was going to be my second one. At which your bottom is, dollar uh, was was uh, Newtonian physics is what I was about to say. Large scale, we can you know with with so much certainty that Columbus is able to amaze Aztecs with uh, with predicted eclipses and so on. So we, we start extrapolating from things that we're praising. They've always happened before. We have a reason to why they happen. And then you start getting into, we just had a Super Bowl. Who was going to win we the did. Super Bowl? And uh, we had an election. You had Nate Silver, who was looking at polling data and made a very accurate prediction to what he thought was going to happen. And you had a Super Bowl come up, and you have pundits, people arguing what they think is going to happen there. Then you get Where sort Nate of Silver other sort of predictions. What's that? Where Nate Silver predicted the 49ers were going to win. Oh, did he? did he? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, he's, actually, it was, he's actually a, a stat nerd. Like, or sports well, I know, stat I know, nerd, it was like, he was like baseball is where he got his thing with start. Yeah. I didn't know that he did. He predicted a 49ers win. That's fine. Yeah, and there in overall, the still Nate bad Silver. year for Nate Silver. Yeah, he was, he was riding high. Big loss. Twenty twelve, he was king of the stat mountain. Now he's he's the jester of turns. Old news, Silver, <laughs> yeah, tarnished so, Silver headline. 
but it, it's a very it's a very good point. So you try to figure out like your 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 stats are only as good as the data you have going in there. But sometimes you find there's data that's not looked at in the right way. And most prediction systems, most betting schemes are assuming they've got a better insight into the data, but then you have to test them. Uh, one of the most successful, the most successful investor in history is Warren Buffett. Sure. Warren Buffett did what was called based start off doing what was called value investing. It was an idea first expounded about by Benjamin Graham. And it got into the idea that if you want to look at how a stock's going to perform over the long term, you look at the quarterly report, you look at the annual report, you look at their profits, you look at the price the stock is trading for. If that price is below what the profits say it's worth, then you buy that stock. And it seems like the most obvious thing in the world. Right. And there were other you know, ways people looked at that. But if you did that over the long term, you had huge returns. Well, he, he was he is a fundamentals investor. He's somebody who looks at like, as you said, the macro scale, like, like is what they're doing, making money. Is their expenses low enough? How, you know, in the long term, will this win? Yes. But then there's the other camp, which is the technical investor, which is like, I don't know what you make. I don't know what you do. I don't know what your management style is. I don't know where your product come from or what the market's going to do. All I know is you've given me a data set of what you're about. And based on, you know, these jumbling numbers and these jumbling numbers, I predict X, Y, and Z, which is a, which is a different school. Yeah. I mean, he, he was in a sense, I mean, the, the, I would say that he didn't try to understand the market or anything like that, it, you know, other than to say, okay, when he, Berkshire Hathaway was a textile company, when he saw that they spent X millions of dollars every year to build new looms and knew that the textile industry was going to leave the United States in a decade, said, let's just stop putting that money in there and invest elsewhere. But he was very much a – he wasn't a technical – he was in, in the sense that he looked at those data. It was an equation. It right. was an equation. The, that's what, what he what, made his decision. The, the difference being, though – and, and this, is, this is – keep in mind, I'm a, I'm a jackass magician who's read a couple of books, but, but the books I read basically – Used him as an example of somebody who understands the company and understands what they do, whereas the technical investor is somebody who doesn't need well, or doesn't care what the company does. Yeah, and, and the, the problem that he got into was, and he's doing quite well, but as Berkshire Hathaway grew and it went from being worth millions to hundreds of millions to, ten, to hundreds of billions of dollars, he could not buy these. You could not. He couldn't buy a ten million dollar company and make a profit because the amount of time and energy they would spend looking at that. Would, would, it was just too small. It was just too small of an investment, and he priced himself out of those sort of value, those those traditional sort of just. And he had to start doing it. You say he had to go look at the you know why why buy Coca Cola? He says, well, Coca Cola. People said, should I buy Coca Cola in 1920? But thought that its best days were behind it, and then it continued to grow. And then he you know he buys you know buys into Chinese companies. So yeah, it did had to evolve as he became more and more wealthy. But now. That kind of looking at that data and looking for that stuff is fascinating, and there is, and it can lead you very, very astray. You have to be able to test your hypotheses, but sometimes you look through data and you start to find things you did not realize were there. You know, we look at flu seasons, and and do flu seasons do do highly virulent forms flu seasons are they do they before them? Do if we look three months before, do we notice that we had more people traveling? Do we does that follow? And if you look at when people were booking those travel three months before then, is there a, an increase in people booking travel that you're going to get eight months down the road, a bigger flu season? I'm just making that up. But you might start seeing these things that in retrospect, you go, well, obviously. 
Well, let's say – let's take this to an example that uh, that you and I can understand. Let's say you're a close-up magician and you're working in a restaurant. You're going from table to table and you want to gauge. You want to predict in the future what kind of response you're going to get from a really good magic trick. And let's say for sake of argument or discussion, this is a high-pressure gig and there are actual cameras there because they're going to make this into a special. Uh, when you go to the table and you notice – that nine of the ten people are black women. Uh, do you anticipate a big response or not? <laughs> Is it possible to anticipate that for one shining, glorious moment, you will look like a freaking rock god with the response right. you're going to get from that table? What? I right. we were having a very interesting conversation about the future. Yeah. And then Brian debuts his grand theory <laughs> on magic phrenology. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying that uh, magicians know, especially magicians who have done close-up, that you will get, in general, awesome, big responses. There, there are absolutely, and in, in, in there, is, there is these areas of little, we'll call it folk knowledge, which is what it's called. And you have these, that's sure. in, and now like neuroscientists are fascinated by what magicians know. And there's the one, they're focused on the mechanics. But when you start getting into the psychology of it, culturally, how do people respond to things differently? Absolutely. And there's a lot of these little pockets of things. And sometimes it can be one of the most powerful antibiotics we have came from a frog that we used all the time in dissections because this frog was a very hardy frog. You cut the thing open, look at its organs, sew the thing back up, throw it back in the trainium, no antibiotics, whatever, and they were fine. And finally, one scientist said, you know, that's kind of odd. Those things never get infected. And they look inside the, the frog and they find the frog has this antibiotic it produces that is extremely powerful. And it's one of those powerful ones we have today. It just came from a frog that scientists have been around for decades. Wait, when did and- this happen? Uh, I think it was like 20 or 30 years ago we realized Tuesday? that was where that was come from. <laughs> You're like 20 minutes ago. I, I'm writing a paper still. Hold on. That's what I, that's so, what I was looking at on my iPad. So there are these there. We know that sometimes somebody has to make the connection, and there are more possible connections than there are people to look for them. Okay. So some scientists are doing a very interesting project. It's uh, Microsoft and Research and the the Technion Israel Institute are basically what they're trying to do is. They're gonna. They're taking the New York Times archives and other newspapers, Wikipedia, and ninety other websites, and they want to see if they can predict future disease outbreaks, riots, and deaths. And they want to look through all this data and see what could precede this. And you find it, and like the example I threw out, the hypothetical. If you looked at travel and this, you might find, uh, you know, if you have a a new company comes into a city. They're going to have an increase in children at a certain point. They're going to build a new school district, and there's going to be these other trends that could be happening. There's a lot of different things that you could, you might want to know. The riots in Egypt, Justin, what was what precipitated that? I, yeah, I've I've long had the personal theory that you see the most uh, civil unrest in the Middle East at in the hottest months of the year. That that during during the summer months when things are are especially in record breaking this uh, heat. This heat sounds, waves that that you see big gigantic civil unrest demonstrations. This this sounds hey, shockingly the, like the uh, the the social science of a stand up comedian. Somebody somebody like I just want to hear you say that like in front of a brick wall behind you and be like, well, remember, you're gonna riot, you're gonna do it when it's hot because it's ever remember, it's hot remember in here. The first when the first with the first riots were over, food prices. Oh yeah. Okay. The food prices, the riots started over food prices and a dissatisfaction of the government being able to control the price of food. And food prices went up because corn price had gone up. Corn went up because we started subsidizing corn to be used as fuel. We took 
All of a sudden, we said, hey, let's put corn in our gas tank because it doesn't really help the environment. But there was the corn producers, and I, I like corn. I'm not knocking corn. But, um, you know, they're like, hey, yeah, we love the idea of putting corn in your gas tank. That's great because, you know, we'll get more money for that than, you know, just yeah. you know, that, selling that, Now popcorn. we're not only a food. We're also an indispensable way that, you know, all yeah. of the economy so, moves. So now the price of corn went up, and there were these artificial things that came in there because the government was a, subsidizing the use of it and, and, and saying you have to use a certain percentage fuel okay which all of a sudden the price of corn starts to go higher people and the poorest people all of a sudden corn is now more expensive because it's being subsidized in the western world and then you get food shortages because of the price and these things have these ripple effects and then you know this overall sort of unrest not to say what happened in egypt wouldn't have happened if that hadn't happened there's a lot of pissed off people waiting but these things you know one thing is the linchpin for something else you know didn't kill the archduke world war one still would have happened so, but the point is, is looking for these trends now. So now these scientists are trying to take all this data and they're looking for things. And you might see patterns that form over and over and over again because there's a lot of this, these connections here. And you, know, and you look for a pattern and then you test your data on another sample of data to see if it happened again. You have to have a built-in thing because you can take a set of data and prove it always within that case. What you have to be able to do is then say, does it have a predictive ability? And so you might take newspapers from 1960 to 1980 and make, make see what experiment, you know, what predictions can you make from that, and then go look at the data from 1980 to 2000. Right. So uh, now, now this is this is also an idea that I know you're fascinated about because there's an element of it in two of your novels, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a I mean, it's a an idea that well predates. Anything I've done, you know, the, the yes. foundation series by Isaac Asimov, you know, was was based upon the idea of, you know, future historian, you know, looking at all these trends. And, and go ahead, Brian. Well, what I was going to say is, is, is as I heard this story, and it, it reminded me of uh, a, a completely fictional construct, but I think that the the fundamental idea is sound. Uh, in uh, uh, Robert Heinlein's novel Friday, uh, one of the the tasks. Uh, did you happen to read it by any chance, Andrew? Long time ago, yeah. fourteen. It, got it because of the girl on the cover. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dude, she just looks so hot, and it was it was, it was best selling book ever because of that. But dude, she yes, and and he was she was portrayed as hot and like having sex with everyone all the time. I'm just like this is the best science fiction I've ever read. But what one, one of the one of the jobs she was given by the man with two canes was that uh, you know she needed to find a correlation between the hemlines of skirts, uh, the lengths of beards. Uh, that were fashionable and the price of gold. And it was an outrageous idea, right? But, you know, she spent enough time looking at enough things. And then the, she gets to a point where, uh, where she said, give me a photo. Don't even tell me when it's from. Just give me a photo. I can glance at the, at the skirts. I can look at the beards and I can give you plus or minus a buck for Yeah. Seriously. Look at that. Look at that. (laughs) Closer. Closer. Amazing. Uh, There you go. We'll, We'll throw that right on there. But, uh, you know, I could give you a good approximation of of the price of gold, and and you know you read something like that, and of course it's a work of fiction, and Robert A. Heinlein's pulling it out of his butt, but uh, but it, let's say that you start to uh, it's the correlation versus causality thing, where it's like no, there's no causality, but if there's a consistent correlation, then it doesn't matter why 
these things happen to do the same thing at the same time. What matters is, especially for which is where I assume all of this is headed, if we have the opportunity to stop a disease or to prevent an outbreak or to reduce the impact of an influenza spread or stop a pandemic before it even starts. Or just know it's coming. Yes, yes, like, yes. Even, no. even, even if you, you, or know you take where, away the idea that you can stop it, just yes. to know that it's coming down the pipe. To know where you should send the antibiotics or the, uh, or the, the antivirals or the replacement blood or the plasma or whatever it is you need so absolutely it's a billions of dollars are blown every year by people who think they've got good predictive screams that they figure this out you go to any casino you see somebody who thinks they see patterns and things aren't there are pattern seekers and the thing that you have to do in statistics is you have a p-value to assign the like you know how likely is this is a real thing or is it just a statistical sort of thing because you don't recognize randomness when you see it. You pick up patterns that aren't there. And so, but they're looking for these broader things. It was like, my favorite Simpsons thing was Homer Simpson's at the bar blowing his money. And he's, he made the money because, yeah, I invested in, you know, I invested in pumpkins in September. And you know, yeah. his pumpkin futures went up. And, you know, like, right. what are you doing now? So I'm doubling down in November, you know. It's right. Just, and I, but it's, you, there are these sort of obvious things. And the problem with trying to play this thing in the stock markets is that you have you have players trying to play the players and you have, you know, those sort of things. But when you step outside of there and you look for these broader trends and, and it's amazing in that a rational person looking at the data as the housing market was blowing up would look at, if they looked at all the total permits being purchased for home construction and the average price being pitched to investors for what these homes were going to go for, you would realize, you would say, there are not enough people in these income levels to buy these houses. Right. Yeah. And either either the price is going to have to come down or interest rates are going to have to come down and unqualified people are going to have to start buying these houses and we're going to have a problem later on. And that's, you know, the role of hedge funds. You know, we 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 maligned the hedge funds because they were the ones making money and money in the middle of the crisis because they're the ones going, this is stupid. Right. If you guys are going to be stupid, we're going to bet on your stupidity. Right. So, and, uh, well, and, and, and uh, you know, the, the, I guess another aspect of that is uh, shortly after uh, September 11th, you know, among the crazy ideas thrown out there, crazy ideas, you know, based on. Uh, you know what has a proven track record was the idea of of a futures market for terrorist attack and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, um, you know there's political problems with being the guy. We like let's start a bet. What's that? <laughs> you know, twenty three hundred Americans died. Let's start a betting market on what'll be next. You know, there, there's there's no way. It's like it's like Bunny Colvin trying to legalize drugs in one section of Baltimore. It's not going to happen. Uh, but. Uh, unfortunately, futures markets uh, in general seem to do very, very well. Has has there been any rebound since that that initial uh, that that horror? thing got re- they, they, that thing got relaunched in a totally different way? I know one of the guys who was involved in that in bad PR. They like this. Oh, we're not going to do this. And they went off and they did it again in a different context, but the same sort of idea. And because it's, it's, it's a so- very you know how did it go? how do they deal with that? How do they deal with the political ramifications of running such of what sounds like such a horrific you know well, essentially like a it, death this, pool? From, from my limited limit understanding, and this was just basically cocktail party talk. Is the second time around there weren't press releases? It wasn't hey everybody look what we're doing because they realized <laughs> oh snap this kind of looked really bad and and it's hard because people don't under people even though we appreciate we we participate in markets. All the time, and they're efficient markets, they're inefficient markets, even in places where you're not supposed to have markets, you know, Soviet Russia, you know, uh, primitive societies that don't have money, there are markets, you know, the the trading things are different. 
we don't appreciate the intelligence that markets have. And we look at any shortcoming in a market and we go, well, see, it failed. It's a failure. And it's like, well, it's always going to be like this, but it's going to be upward. Right. Um, I think that, you know, that's that's, you know, the, the biggest problem is, is, you know, trying to get people to appreciate how 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 if you want to talk about collective wisdom and the value in that, that great book, Wisdom of the Crowds. Mm hmm. You know, uh, yeah. by uh, James Sawicki is just a, a great example of the difference between the mob and individuals in a crowd and how they act. You know, mob is everybody acting in concert, being incited by a few. A wise well, crowd. Uh, that's that's the uh, the the mob is. Uh, and I, oh, man, I forget which book it was I read, but uh, uh, the idea. I, I think it was Thinking Fast and Slow, talking about how five percent drive the herd. All you need is five percent. If you have a shiftless group of people in a house, but five percent of them walk with a mission from one room to another to another in a set pattern before you know it after an hour everyone in this entire house will be flowing in this in this this set pattern that's along that's that's the exactly that's that's the mob mentality which no lie and it feels dark to say this is part of the reason as as you know you know Justin and I you know sort of in love to incite riots on our NSFW show but it's like um that's you look at something like reddit or or subreddit or or a small market with uh, uh even the the diamond club experiment um much of that was us attempting to see what you could do let's find a market where where our fans or people who dig our ideas is big enough to constitute five percent of the herd and see if we can actually shift public possession let's see possession. how confidently we can walk from one room to another exactly and start stepping around and, and the scary thing is is you guys are using it for benign or hopeful things but you see you can go you want to see the mob mentality you see somebody online post how I was wronged, and you get one side of it, one side of it without yeah. the full facts, and you get this outrage from everybody. Let's, you know, let's, you know, let's look this guy up and let's let's tear down their house or let's do this or let's do all these things. These people ready to be outraged and inciting each other. Well, of course I'm justified because we're all angry, and uh, it's you know somebody who gets it's accused of something we find heinous, I we like skip past the idea that they're accused and judge yeah. them by the weight of the crime, right? It's a rare phenomenon I like to call boing boing dot com. Dot <laughs> <laughs> net. Dot net. Dot net. Dot net. Yeah. Sorry. You're talking about my good, close, personal friend, Cory Doctorow. Just I say, say, I say that. Were wrong. I say that. A lot because of people were wrong on that site. I say that because well, I now have a photo of me and, and Cory Doctorow, which means he's we're a, good, he's close, a, personal he's a, He is a very talented and, and fascinating cultural leader. And I mean, what he's been able to create around himself and be able to done is pretty fascinating. He said politely. What's that? <laughs> said, he said politely. <laughs> I, I think no, I like I no, I, I, know, I, I gave know. up RSS feeds, but I still boing boing every day. I'd always to... find something delightful there. And sometimes you'd see you'd be like, All right, come on. Let's let's step back and think about this before we get too outraged. And sometimes you go, Oh man, that is ridiculous, you know. But yeah. it was uh you know, any 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 you know, coming from a law enforcement family, it'd be like any uh, no, police see, see. brutality was always police brutality, even if there hadn't been an investigation yet. It was always like maybe there's Maybe there's more to it. Sometimes See, there's not. So meanwhile, there's like I'm people in uniforms. There could be some really bad people out there. I take the P.T. Barnum approach. I'm like, I don't care if it's true or not. Blow it up. What? Did yeah, I hear the exactly. police word? Can we stick brutality in there somewhere? Go. Blow it up. So uh, let's uh, remind people to. Uh, yeah. Who who paid for this, Justin? Yeah. Flowers, the film. They paid for the whole episode. Boom. Those flowers. We got skulls. We got autopsy scars. 
We got uh, type typewriters. Misogyny. By the way, Brian is just looking at the website and he's just repeating things that he's seeing. <laughs> this is this is the the I love lamp of ad reads. <laughs> so, gentlemen, I'm okay with that for the record. <laughs> I want ready to have your minds blown again. Yeah, blow yes. our minds. What is the future of television? Oh, everybody knows it's online. It's going to be distributed, crowdsourced, uh, real-time social. That's, okay. that's the future of I television. Mean, and <laughs> I, I don't know, did I bring this global. up last time, Justin? The actual thing you watch. Oh, like how you watch it? The the actual yeah. structure? Oh, everybody that's- knows, bro. I went to I, I went to CES, let's say, for, for sake of this discussion, and it's clearly 4K. Let's go a little further. Let's go ten years out. 8K. You're gonna you're gonna go watch sixteen K down Abbey. It's a new show. Yeah, thirty two K. It's gonna be thirty two K displays. That's uh that's how it goes. So you see yourself looking at a bigger screen. Sixty four K. Sixty four K. So you say uh, big screen. 128K. It's a very big. It's very high fidelity. No glasses. Just sit there. It's still a screen. 256K. It's very, Uh, very. That's the modem that's providing the video to the screen, and it's very disappointing. 512K. No, people people have gone back to it at at that point because we like to, you know, it it was a purer form of it. It's like vinyl. Uh, you know, the yeah. internet's better at 128 baud. It really is. Yeah. It really I, is. I don't know. I, I prefer it, actually. I mean, I just prefer it. 1024K. That's yeah. that's the new standard. Forget 512. And it literally, because of the singularity, that's how fast TVs get better. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, okay. By the way, this was not me postulating. This was a real-time report from the floor here at CES. Yeah. Well, Brian is just mumbling off. And, like, I, I will tell you, like, yeah, having, having played with a red camera recently and just seeing... You know what that can do? Amazing. So you see a screen. You see a high-def, super high-resolution screen. No. Uh, do you want to know my real prediction? No, Brian. I want to know. For Kessler, I want to know your real Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, for that. What is happening right now? Oh, more no, Whoppers. No. drinking the Whoppers. <laughs> uh, dude, uh, I honestly think uh, what's happening with the Oculus Rift is the beginnings of, number one, a fulfillment of a promise that was made over 20 years ago. Of of real, you know, full field of vision, virtual reality, and um, I, I think what's happened. Describe since... to people what the Oculus Rift is. Okay, if, if you don't know, there's there's a Kickstarter recently for the Oculus Rift, which was a technology put together by basically a kid who was just like, I think VR is not dumb. Here's what VR might look like if you made it awesome. And so one of the things he did was. Every VR goggles you ever put on was a virtual screen that looked like a box in front of you. It looked like it was a few feet of, uh, ahead of you. Uh, he said, well, what if you made uh, your your video screen occupy your entire field of vision, all of your peripheral vision, all the way to the outside? And what if you had motion tracking that was that was millimeter perfect as you went around? What if you were able to tilt left and right to maintain the stereo, you know, and parallax motions as you move your head in natural ways uh, and put this together. And the technology so impressed John Carmack of id Software that he said, can I buy this from you? Can you give me this as a development kit? And, and you know, he's like, sure, I don't know, $1,500. Here, take this. And then he put together this, you know, everyone's buying this thing. Everybody's super excited about virtual reality again. Uh, but 
quietly, I don't think that's the real news. I think the real news is um, on the technical side of things, we have the people who make video games are excited about a VR technology, and that's wonderful. But the real news for the consumer is going to be that not only will this truly be a revolutionary, immersive visual experience, like nothing we've experienced before, but meanwhile, in the last 20 years, the expectations of storytelling that we expect from our video games and our digital entertainment have gotten so high and the bar has been raised so much uh, that a fundamentally different class of entertainment is now possible. I am right now uh, occasionally on this very live stream where we're streaming this right now. I'm running through the entire Uncharted series on on the PlayStation 3 donated to, uh, to the show by Rob Crackle, who's a fine individual. Uh, and I am much, much more excited about the story being told. It's as big and rich and as detailed and as deep as any movie I remember going going to see. Uh, the combination of storytelling in this kind of immersive environment, and there will be some kind of interactive element. There will be some point where you shoot a gun or do a thing that feels like you're there in it, but that won't be the focus. The focus will be the storytelling in a truly immersive way and a type of story that could never exist anywhere else. That my friends, is the future of movies. All right, Brian, you ready for this? Blow my mind. I'm reaching onto your face. See my hands? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking your glasses off of your head. I'm going, listen, I like the 3D, the way you look around. I think think the Ocular is a great, I think it's a great step. I think it's a great step. Step is what I'm doing now when I throw them. Those are my goggles. Those are my goggles to fantasy world. Oculus, I miss you. I love you. Brian. Control yourself. What do you got? I want you to imagine you sit down in front of in your, your entertainment unit, and you look in front of you, and there is, well, it's just an Apple TV or a Roku. We'll call it a Roku box, right? There's no screen. There's no screen. Just a Roku. Maybe there's a Connect-like bar, okay? With its fashionable little little IZOD tag off to the side right. that says Roku 8000. Microsoft Connect Bar or whatever. Now I want you to imagine this. There is a thing that's in laboratories right now. Okay. Now, I, got, I was kind of excited when Google Glass came out because I'm like, oh, cool. But then I realized, oh, it's mono. It's this. But I do appreciate what Google Glass could do. I, I don't want to – there's a big world of difference between the problems that's trying to solve and this fully immersive thing like the Ocular Rift thing sure. and what Microsoft may be working on. So they're, they're also, very different also, solutions. Uh, they look similar but doing different things. But Hold on. Wait, what's that, Justin? Just real quick on the Google Glass. Saw one at a party. Looks stupid. Just yeah, no. Somebody Did was just wearing it. it? Yeah. Dude, what was that? What's up? You jelly? Is that what's going on? I I did not get a chance to look through it. In fact, I was told I didn't see it. You're totally gelatinous with your jelliness. That's what's going on. Moving on from there, okay? There is a form. One of of the ways, I don't have Google Glasses, one of the ways some of those glass displays work is they do what's called a virtual retina display. You're not actually looking at a screen. There's a tiny little laser doing a raster drawing on the back of your retina. Dude. Of what you're supposed to see. Are you ta- are you talking about Snow Crash? Okay. There is right now, there are models. They're actually in laboratories right now. There are cell phones you can pick up and look at. Imagine looking at your iPhone, your Android, or whatever, and holding it out at arm's length from your body, but seeing a two-foot-wide screen because there's a laser in there drawing a huge screen on the back of your retina. So, okay, so let's do this. Let's reimagine. Let's take that a step further, Brian, before okay. you do this. What? Wow. Keep going. 
let's take that laser, let's sit it on top of your entertainment unit, let's have that connect bar track you where you move around the room, use some sonic projection, and just project the image either in a tiny square in your vision or take over your complete vision now. No glasses, no nothing. Now, it has to have permission from you when you walk into a room to do this because of facial recognition, whatever. Now, what we're doing is we are creating a 3D environment on you, in your brain, whenever we want, without jacking you into anything, without making you wear stupid glasses. Okay, so think about this. Think Uh about watching uh, Avatar or any other science fiction movie. Uh, Think about Return of the Jedi when he's explaining, you know, how the Force Moon of Endor or whatever. And there's this disc and then popping out of the disc is a holographic representation of the Force Moon of Endor or whatever. That technology does not exist and we don't know how we're going to do it. There's things we could do to simulate it. What if if instead – We can do that actually in the laboratory. Well, well, not 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 a free floating. Yes, we can. Three D without 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 any kind of gas. Your vapor, you're projecting it onto. Why why can't we have vapor or gas? Okay, that's what I'm what I'm saying is they actually can do with oxygen molecules. By the way, they can excite. You can say laser to excite. They actually can do without vapor or gas. Why bother to do any of that when instead you could have in these rooms. Those exact same connect-like boxes that you're talking about yeah. that track all the pairs of eyes simultaneously and well, virtually do it. That's what I'm saying is why well, actually ever make holographic displays as long as everybody – it's like the 1984 thing. If we all agree I can fly, then I can fly. If we yeah, all no, agree I, I, that we see I, this – I totally agree. Yes. I, I was just defending the researchers that actually figured out how to do it and people said they couldn't do it by using the laser to excite the oxygen molecules to get them to glow. Fair enough. There's a, that's There's awesome. a really cool, like, I'll show you a YouTube video of the of the demonstration of that. And it's pretty amazing because you see it because they're not. It's not a vapor curtain or anything, right? You know, but but yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I think that's the future. You walk in the room. Where's the screen? You just got to say, I want to see it. Then, boom, you see it. And people are like, Ah, do I want this projecting into my eyes? Well, and, and oh, it, you know, it'll be, it, what it, about this thing? It'll just be it'll be light? fashionable for everybody to wear glasses that 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 have some kind of crystal on it that chooses when and when when you decide to let friendly or unfriendly lasers because otherwise you got ad it's ad blocker glasses don't thumbs down people are gonna because this technology will be used to blast giant holographic ads in your face and whether whether you're friendly or not and so instead you walk around with glasses on and they're ad block glasses they decide which of these lasers to let brian i will shoot out their goddamn laser before with my bb gun before i wear glasses before, you know, you'll I will wear say, contacts, whatever. You'll no, have some that's film. That's wrong. It's backwards. You will, you will make rules. To, you just you can't backwards. shoot a laser this pointer in somebody's Brian eye. Brian defending the world where everyone needs to wear glasses. Okay, listen, motherfucker. Uh, <clears throat> hold on. That was close. I was with you on the no pants thing. No, 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 no. Okay, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're saying that in this world where these boxes are everywhere, you're saying you no just, one can make fun of the person who wears glasses. No, 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 no. How what, fragile their ego is. What I'm saying is, is you're defending the right. You're saying, you're saying that you would choose to just let whatever lasers wanted to blast in your eyes. I, I, I preface oh. by saying, when you go into a room, you have to give it permission. Based on okay. facial recognition, what or kind whatever. of communist bullshit? This is crap. What is crap? You're like, you're like. No, he's just saying that there will be a solution 
that isn't glasses. No, that's no. All, that's all he's saying is that in, in this future where this technology exists, that there will be a solution you know that what? is not the I one believed, solution you have decided. I believed everything about the scenario up until this <laughs> up until this part. You've lost me entirely. There's well, no and way. That's, that's the very, very interesting point we're going to get into is that in the discussion is that when these things become like right now, there's we have the ability to do sound projection. You can yes. do highly focused sound projection, and you walk into some place, and all of a sudden, you know, you could be walking. Oh, you should buy Tide detergent. It's aimed just at you. Well, or, or more Wait. specifically, like uh, you could have an entire crowded theater of people, and somebody could mm-hmm. notice that one person is, uh, you know, has his iPad open or whatever. A targeted sound can speak directly to that one person in the theater and say, excuse me, sir, uh, I'm afraid you can't turn on your device in the middle of a performance. Nobody else hears anything except for that one person. Yeah, which which would be great. I think that when you start saying we want to start projecting images into people who do not agree to it, and like not not like, you know, we can say there's going to be a term. There's passive, you know, there's passive reflective or whatever versus using optics or lasers to go do this. You can't shoot a laser in somebody's eye right now. Wait, okay, who is this uh, This magic authority? The government? You want the government to decide? Right, go shoot a laser in somebody's eye. See what happens. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, who is this magic authority that you're appealing to? You, the same one that be says, the... if you, the, right now it's the F, it's actually the FDA with the lasers and stuff. Oh, gee, I don't even know you anymore. Brian, what happened? Brian, I'm not saying my vision. Well, one, one, we can talk about, you know, what, what the, the, where, where, you know, where my fist ends and your nose begins that argument, you know, what happened to the laser, the Rio laser? Remember the Rio hotel had a laser? Uh, I, I don't know. Back Dude, in the nineties, the Rio hotel had a green laser shot out the desert over the, over, over Las Vegas. Oh, I okay? do remember that. Yeah. It was really cool. It was really kick-ass. Where'd yeah. it go, Brian? What happened to it? I would imagine uh, uh, you tell me, boss, because I'm better <laughs> yeah, gigantic yeah, pair of glasses that was placed in the desert. That's right. That's right. Uh, look, man. Uh, wow. That's this is such weak sauce. Like, like, are you in favor of the fact that the government shut down that awesome laser that you like so much? No, no. I, I think they shut well, it down. Why are you defending the wife beaters? Explain I, that, I, sir. I, I don't know why listen. you're so invested that in this world where we've invented this technology, where we can literally project anything onto any retina, yeah. it will track you with, with millimeter, fractions of a millimeter precision. That in that you. reality, we have not also figured out a way to let it show when it is appropriate and when it is not without forcing people to wear glasses. What, uh, no, what I'm saying is, is in this future... Okay, once this technology exists and all of a sudden anybody, what happens? Okay, here's what happens. Crazies, crazy person, rogue hackers reprogram one of these to just blind people. You you got the, the great blinding spree of 2178. And then what happens? You, you know, you just get to trust the government and be like, hey, guys, remember, blinding everyone's illegal. No, what happens well, is once this genie's out of the bottle, once it's out there, once people are getting porn shot into their kids' eyeballs against their will because they clicked on whatever, because there's no effective way to stop it, what happens is you can be up there saying, everyone remain calm, we've made it illegal, or I can say say by the way i'm selling these glasses they block all porn or blinding for only five dollars who's gonna make more money hat too what free tinfoil hat with every pair of glasses. i mean but like wait, wait, but wait, Brian, what does that you, mean? You're, you're assuming that this technology is 
and maybe it will be that that now, this what, is a, what a, is a, your, a what super, is your super 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 advanced what is your thing. thesis your thesis is that nobody would buy something to protect themselves from no, information Brian, they don't th- want yes in this in this very specific scenario that you have laid out yes your product succeeds i'm saying that it that, that the way that this technology would in my estimation would roll out would be slow enough that we would be dealing with the infant versions of those challenges as the infant versions of these technologies come about. Yes, there will be people that just want to blind them. Whether or not how expensive this technology is, how effective it is at doing it, that all these things we will see coming as the technology evolves and builds. The, the evidence the does not back you here up. tomorrow here, okay, and Brian's Justin. Uh, uh, Neato glasses are going to be flying no, off the shelf. Justin, Justin, the reason you don't get spam, you're not hammer with spam all the time has nothing to do with the laws that prevent spam. It has to do with I've countermeasures. Not about laws. It has to do with the countermeasures, the, the essentially the glasses that Google applies to all of its all of its Gmail. But I guess but when we're talking about like actual physical space, if I go from, you know, my house to the shopping mall, if I walk into the shopping mall, there's a sign that says, you know, you're, you're, we're going to we're going to beam your eyes. It's private property. We get to do whatever damn way you want. That's fine. If I'm driving down the highway and somebody's shooting me at the laser telling me to buy, you know, uh, Zondo Cola, you know, um, I would, given how people, some people feel righteous enough right now to buy TV zappers when they go into a privately owned bar and feel they have the right to shut down that television because it's bothering them, which I think is ridiculous, you know, but there are people like, oh, don't you hate it? And you're out with friends and the TV's on too loud in this bar and shut it down with this little zapper. And it's like, wait a second, you know. This is not your bar. You went out into this public space, this, this own private space, whatever, that you don't own, and you want to shut down their TV because it violates your space. And you know, I don't agree with that at all. You know, it's how, private, how property, private property. To, how does that apply to this discussion? Well, it gets, but the idea is there's this already the sense of entitlement how people have. How are people going to react when they get the first laser-projected IAD they don't want? You're going to get a billion-dollar lawsuit against whoever's doing this. Somebody's going to claim damages that are not real or whatever. You would be so – so what I'm saying is that when you're talking – it's one thing on the internet where it's cheap and easy to spam people and do that. But when you go out into real space, it gets harder because there's a higher level of accountability. Somebody's got okay. to physically put this thing between in my path somewhere I'm going to have. How, how does that reconcile with the nature of Times Square? Times Square is is a visual assault on all of your senses. Without your permission, you are assaulted with a barrage of location-based advertisements that you have no option to not receive. How, what how, you, okay, wait, wait, wait. When you say – say, but Brian, how is your face not a violation of this? When I see you in public, it's an assault on my – it's Times Square – you have it's very bright, it's very visual. If Times Square, there are rules in Times Square as far as to how bright they can be. There are things you cannot do because if it's too distracting to the drivers and it causes accidents, you can't do that. You can't have laser scanners sweeping the streets. You can't have lasers poking into people's eyes. No, I okay, okay. but 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 if, if if that is a if if what you're saying now is that Times Square is an assault on your senses, then. Here, like, here is my why thesis. Why are people buying horse blinders now? Because they, they don't exist, and that's a silly idea. Okay, so here's here's my thesis. My thesis is Times Square. It's in awesome. the future, in the scenario, when the technology is there, you have the potential for every public space to suddenly become like Times Square. And I'm betting that enough people will not like that that they will spend a small amount of money 
to put on a pair of glasses that block what if you could turn off all of Sky- Times Square just for you, so you didn't have to see all that? I think everybody would go for that. People, but and I mean, both y'all, both y'all bastards, are freaking are freaking laughing at me for this idea. What I don't understand what is so ridiculous about laws. it. Like they do it. There's a reason Times Square about? looks like Times Square and other places don't. You know, I mean, I, I'm just saying is that. People are litigious enough and, and run, willing to run to complain about overbuilding and how they are, are hardy hypersensitive to that. I think that when somebody starts trying to use this in an invasive way, I don't think uh, I, it will happen. It will be used invasively. I don't think it's going to get – I think before it gets to the point where, like, fuck, I'm just buying these glasses to block it out, I think you're going to pass zoning laws. I think you're going to sue people. In the, society, in the world we live in now, that's the way we handle things. You have people who try to sue if you want to build a building and you put neon. There are sit- I can't find restaurants in what might the town next over to me because they're not allowed to have neon signs. Okay, uh, uh, again, like in a world where people buy ad blocker software so that they can walk around through the internet uh, and not be bothered by ads. I just I can't fathom this bizarre okay. notion that you have uh, that nobody you're, will you're use this technology the for, for advertising. I'm talking about the physical world where you've got to have a physical thing in my proximity to do this. Uh, Brian, I don't have uh, I don't uh, have I don't have people knocking on my door to sell me Canadian Viagra. Nobody's uh, ever uh, knocked uh, on my door to do that. This is the uh, Brian, all I'm things I completely agree heard. with you. Okay, okay, you I got a funny way it. of showing it, motherfucker. I don't understand. Go on. Show me how you agree with me. Keep going. By the way, 82 minutes. That's where it happened. Go ahead. Well, hold on. Let me write it down. <laughs> Are you calm? I'm, I'm you taking I'm, a breath. I'm highly curious as to how this is somehow a way of showing that you agree with me. Go ahead. Number one, you've worked yourself into a lather on one specific solution. What I'm disagreeing with you on is not that the the scenario you painted is invalid and not that there will be a push to not have or to not see these invasive messages. I, I and not that there is a desire that if you could turn off of times turn off Times Square just for you that some people would want to turn off Times Square just for them specifically if they become more prevalent. My only quibble is that it won't be the specific piece of technology that you are saying it will be. That there is that there are are things unforeseen on ways that we could dampen or turn off or. Uh, uh, Screw with the the lasers that are trying to imprint onto your eye. That even if it's a personal, something that you have on your person, that I'm just saying that glasses will not be, that, that, that it's not assured that glasses will be that solution. That's all I'm saying. And, uh, well, uh, first of all, I mean, I said, or contacts or whatever, but that apparently that did nothing to stop the discussion. Whatever. I think people will take measures to have some kind of blockage for unwanted lasers going into their eyes. Yes, I, that I was my thesis. I Th- think that I think that I would my in my again. I don't know. I really don't know. My, my, people who agree my with you. thinking is it like pirate radio really isn't a big problem unless it interferes with car alarms and stuff like that. And and and. In my version of what I understand, and I am getting things wrong, I, I, I accept that and how you see it. But in my version, would be like, then I, you know, why aren't people now building tons of little pirate radio stations to blast my radio, my car radio, every time I turn on with commercial messages I don't ask for? And one, because it's, you got to have physical hardware to do it. It's, 
There's an FCC that tracks these things down. It is the cost to do this versus the payoff is not worth it. And there's a lot of other things that come into play that make it. And that's sort of, I think, and that's why the real space is many ways different than online. Real space, it's more expensive. There's a capital cost. There's human investment. I can send out a million spam messages for 100 bucks to put a laser somewhere to do this to somebody. And I would think that there would be, you know, that as there are laws now that try to prevent or limit these things, I would assume if we're so fed up that we'd want to buy these glasses, I would think that, you know, we would probably be more likely to pass laws to prevent that unapproved whatever thing first, given how we're able to block things like pirate radio and stuff right now. That, my friend, is a very good point. And I don't know. End of the day, I don't know. But I do think it will be awesome when we have this technology. However, I have to deal with it when I go outside, which I won't because I'm going to sit inside all day long watching just awesome 3D without glasses. Because it'll be blasted. What you'll do is you'll have 3D blasted of what it would be like to go outside so you can almost experience it. And I will go blind one way or the other from what I'm going to use this technology for. <laughs> do we? Uh, should we do like a real quick peek? Uh, peek. Uh, picks. But I guess yes, also we should again, we should also thank the folks who made this possible, flowersthefilm.com, right? The reason sure. this show exists is for us to get passionate and excited about the legality of the far-off future of having lasers projected into your eyes and what we're going to do or not. We don't know. We have no idea. But we feel very strongly about it. I'm just saying if the solution is glasses versus the field, I'm taking the field. Uh, let's go with picks. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'll go second, uh, dude. I'll do. The, I'll do the. He's already got. Them. I'll do the super quick and easy one. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take a lot of time of it. Everyone's talking about it. You know it. I know it. The whole damn town knows it. Uh, House of Cards on Netflix. Six episodes in. I'm loving it. Directed by David Fincher. Got Kevin Spacey in it. Uh, Netflix's first original production. It's like fifty million or a hundred billion dollars or something stupid. Hundred um, million for two seasons. Hundred million for two seasons. Fifty million per season. Thirteen episodes. Loving it and uh, I'm loving all the fan service they do where it's like um, they have themes in the show that are clearly written to appeal to the kind of people who would be watching this on Netflix stuff about new media versus old the death of newspapers political intrigue the power of Twitter uh, and there's lots of Apple devices everything about I'm loving all of this Uh, do you ever see the original no, no. And in fact, I'm intrigued. I'm, I almost wanted to start watching the original, but I think I'm going to finish watching the American reboot and then go back and watch the, the British. I, I watched the original about a year ago, and I loved it and very much enjoyed it. Uh, maybe being a pick here, it, but it is funny because the novel it's based on, and, 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 and after you see it, we'll talk about something because there is a – I was hesitant on this version because knowing the parties involved and knowing what appealed to them about the original, I'm like, I don't know because I know where the original goes to and I know who wrote it, and I kind of go, and this is – it is it is the worst kind of fantasy in my opinion. But anyhow, huh. worst kind of fanfic. But my pick. Uh, well, well re- real quick, like I I don't know anything about the original, but I will say this much: the um, there was something that felt familiar about everything, and uh, and I finally nailed it down. Like you know, eight you know five episodes in, uh, there's something about the main character and his ability to say one thing flatly and then roll over and make it something else. And it reminded me of, of Benjamin Linus from Lost. But even more, it reminded me of of the iconic character of uh, Vic Mackey in The Shield. It's like if you dug The Shield, if you dug the character of Ben Linus in, in Lost, uh, I think you're really going to like what's happening on this on this show. My pick 
you know, uh, you get weepy eyed and nostalgic and you, you sometimes wish that uh, more people could give heed to and remember the great era, the great epic, the times, that great lost place of Doggerland. Of what? I'm a big fan of Doggerland. I'm sorry. Say, say it again. Doggerland. I, I, is that a place? Is that a thing? I don't know what it is. Right. Doggerland was this vast region of land between UK and France. It was the, the English Channel, as it's so-called, and the areas slightly to north there was once above ground. Okay? 10,000 years ago, it was probably the most fertile land in all of the all of northern Europe, okay, all of Europe, it was probably the best place to live, best place to have cattle, the best place to grow crops, whatever. This is like what during the Holocene maximum, or so, and then you know up until about six thousand years, six thousand years uh, BCE, then there was as we came out of our, our interglacial. We're still in an ice age for kids, but we're in an you know interglacial period as things started to warm up and the water levels rose. Doggerland sank beneath the seas. We had no idea it was there, but sometimes they would start to dredge. And then we'd pull up things like antler shafts that had been carved into spear points and oh, wow. rocks and even bones. And now as we're digging these, these oil platforms in the North Sea, we're finding more evidence of there was a civilization there. There was a very big civilization between England, between France, kind of in the middle, a middle civilization in this earth that is now gone. So okay. this this is your pick is the ancient land of that used to be above sea I'm level. I'm getting there. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm curious. Getting there. I'm just so Dogger because land because is if that's your pick, period of history, it's a fascinating thing. That's if that is your pick, I will back your play, and I will say that's the maybe the most epic pick we've had on. I'm gonna go. This. I'm gonna go one step further though. And if you're like me and you just can't find enough about Doggerland, thankfully. Author Stephen Baxter, who just has recently written a Doctor Who novel, by the way, has a trilogy, and I've read the first one called Stone Spring. It's part of the Northland trilogy, and it is that the pre- ten thousand years ago, a vast and fertile plain that linked the British Isles to Europe existed, home to a tribe of simple hunter gatherers. Northland teems with nature's bounty, but is also subject to its whims. And so, it's about a civilization in Doggerland, based upon what we know about the historical evidence. And then he goes in another direction. He says, "What if?" They did what other civilizations have done when they've had to deal with rising waters, and they built like the Dutch and Florida, whatever. And they, they built, built dikes dams, that eventually and became they to domes. Protect themselves in. And he creates this situation in which this is made possible. And I won't get into the details why, but he's got a trilogy. So this book takes place one point. The next book basically happens when there's a civilization they've created. Okay, I'm in. I'm all the way in. And in fact, Stephen Baxter was co-author of one of my previous picks, uh, The Long Earth, with Terry Pratchett yeah. and Stephen Baxter. Dude, this is fantastic. I would love to read this series. And again, Doggerland was a real place. It's a real thing. It's this big black hole in our history of the world. And we look at how much history we know about from places we can find. So much of the earth is now under hundreds of feet of water because of the melting ice caps, which guess what? It's not new. And who knows what else is out there? And there's a whole new area of archaeology that's opening up, which is basically looking for things that are now underwater. And there's, there's places in India, like in Japan, and there's some other areas that were above ground at one point 10,000 years ago that people lived in probably some of the best places to live were these low-lying valleys that are now gone. There may be more human history there than anywhere else. Amazing. What about you, Justin? Uh, so we all like that movie uh, Looper, right? Dude. 
It's the it's the well, only movie I purchased in 2012. The only film. Big uh, big fans of that one. I was delighted to see that on. If it's not the most recent, it'll be the first one back episode of Smodcast, and then the second half on uh, the Smoothie Makers podcast is an expansive, certainly longer than Looper, uh, interview, two-part interview with Kevin Smith and Ryan Johnson, the director and writer of of Brick, Brothers Bloom, and Looper. Uh, It was one of those things where I've, I've so enjoyed Ryan Johnson's work, but because he has this reputation as he writes everything that he directs and he takes so long to write it. And, and it's a very precision kind of craft for him. I kind of thought he was more of the indie director kind of, uh, he was, he was more Darren Aronofsky than Kevin Smith, you know, the, the kind of, uh, you know, reclusive genius kind of person. And I was so happy to just hear him just to be a, a, just a big, uh, awesome, uh, you know, welcoming personality and not the, like, I do brilliant things and, yes. like, this is my work and I present it to you now as I reveal my tablets to the world. Uh, he's awesome. The interview's great. Uh, it it edges a little bit on the... Kevin Smith has... And, I, again, I love Kevin Smith. I love Smodcast. There's a tendency to ebb a little bit into the me, 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 everything's about me, um, waters. And specifically when it gets to Bruce Willis, uh, it, it kind of tends to be about Kevin Smith's pathos that it is talking to Ryan Johnson oh, about his. Now, now to you, that's a negative, but to me, the moment I hear Kevin Smith and Ryan Johnson talking about Bruce Willis, I'm like, I'm in. And it's like, because so I want to know I, the gossipy Brian. stuff. So did I. <laughs> oh no. Okay. All right. No, no, no. I, there's a lot of that. I like. <laughs> well, I, I, we'll see. We'll see, man. <laughs> just saying. No, I mean it's not, and, and even like that's not bad. I mean, I don't know. They're just elements. I mean, just, and it's not necessarily. Uh, it's all great. I, I, I am recommending it because I love it. Uh, go ahead and check it out. It's on Smodcast. Kevin Smith interviewing Ryan Johnson. And the second half of that interview is on his Smoothie Makers uh, podcast. So go ahead and check that out. And uh, Ryan Johnson's. Awesome, man. Two thumbs up. By the way, Smoothie Makers makes me think of um, uh, the uh, Penny Marshall interviews that he did, uh, which made me think yeah. of Penny Marshall appearing on Portlandia, which yes. was recommended to me by one just Robert Young, which I'm continuing to watch. Uh, so there's that. No, Portlandia is uh, absolutely great. And I did um, I did watch the Battlestar Galactica episode, and it was effing legendary. <laughs> it was amazing the way that the way it happened. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll just say I never knew I, he was I, that I, funny I, until, you know, Portland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all, all I will say is there's a cameo in the Battlestar Galactica episode that is not made clear to an audience that doesn't know who they're looking at that I've taken great delight in having other people watch it and then be like, well, you know that. Blank is blank. Wait a minute. Did I did I miss this cameo or did I did I Brian this... blank was blank. <laughs> no, I need I need some help. Help me out here, man. I can't. I hate to think that I missed the 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 cameo. Was it like an Eddie Murphy thing where where some white guy was looked like a black person? <laughs> Who no. 
Who were they looking for the entire episode? Oh, yes. Okay, yes. All right, that person, right? Yeah. When is he in there? The local actor? (gasps) No, I didn't know that. That's amazing. See? See how awesome it is? It's so much better. So much better. So much better. Yes. Okay, dude, even better. Even better. It's so great. All right. All right. If you watch, well, if you watch Battlestar girls. Galactica, just just look up Portlandia. Type in Portlandia Battlestar, and I'm sure you'll find the episode. Just watch no, that one no, episode. No, the episode's called One More Episode. One more episode. There it is. Yeah. So it's in the second season of Portlandia. It's very very funny. If it hasn't already been spoiled for you, <laughs> because it turns out that blank is blank. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I know Andrew. Andrew will know what that is, so I don't think it's spoiling it. Uh, boys and girls. Thank you for listening to our podcast. However, you may be receiving it voluntarily, involuntarily, <laughs> in your ear holes. Take off those earmuffs. You want to sponsor the podcast? Do you have $30? If so, go to weirdthings.com slash sponsor, and you can have Justin say whatever you want. He's a trained ape.